in our series, Jesus Is. We are again in chapter 11 of Hebrews. We are in a mini-series in a series. And so we're walking through uh, the theme that Jesus is worthy of faith. And in the last couple of weeks, we uh, walked through parts one, two, and now we are on part three. So we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah tonight as we cover verses 8 through 16. And I think if you're like me, um, when we talk about faith, it's easy to think of it in individual acts. Uh, well, I had to have faith to um, go through fill in the blank. Well, God asked me to have faith to do fill in the blank. But biblical faith is a faith that's not just an individual acts. It's a faith that's active all of the time. It shines more than other times, uh, certainly, but faith is a lifelong journey. And so uh, previously, when we talk about these Old Testament heroes of faith, whether it be Noah or Enoch or Abel, we're thinking of them in the very specific circumstances they had. But tonight, we're talking about a lifelong journey of faith with Abraham and Sarah. Like, they have longevity. They have something something uh, that is... Well, it's long, <laughs> to, put it, um, to put it simply. I think when you look at their lives, um, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a quick kind of, we'll catch up so we're on the same page here, rundown, in case you're unfamiliar uh, with what happened in Genesis chapter 12 through 24. But Abraham, uh, then named Abram, when he was 75 years old, had God appear to him and say, hey, I want you to leave your land. I want you to go into a new land. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the other nations. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to spread your offspring throughout the world. I'm going to give you a promised land. I'm like all of these things he told Abram, 75 years old. And then God comes to him and talks. And he lives, remember back in that day, they lived to be really, really, really old. He lived for another hundred years. And through that hundred years, all of those promises start to fulfill slowly but surely. But even then, Abraham and Sarah still died without seeing all of those promises fulfilled. And so he says, well, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids. That didn't happen for 25 years before Isaac was born through Sarah. Well, I'm going to give you, um, uh, I'm going to make many nations from you. Well, it wasn't until Isaac was born and then had Jacob, and Jacob was only 15 years old by the time Abraham dies. It was Jacob's kids that were the 12 nations of Israel, right? So Abraham didn't even get to see that. Well, I'm going to give you land. Well, Abraham and Sarah, they went to that land. They hung out in that land, but they certainly didn't rule over that land fully. And it wasn't until hundreds of years later after 400 years of slavery that Moses leads the Israelites through what we call the exodus into this promised land. So this isn't a one-time act of faith. This is a lifelong journey, and even then, faith had to continue until the end. So as we walk through this tonight, and you look at Abraham's life a little bit closer, and Sarah's life and their faith, I want you to ask yourself, when it comes to your own faith, is your faith durable? Good times, hard times, when adversity comes, does it shrink back? Remember last chapter, the author in Hebrews says, I don't want us to be a people who shrink back, but a people who walk by faith. Does your faith grow? Does it shrink back or does it grow? And I think whichever way you answer that will determine, not if you have faith or not, it will determine where your faith is in. Because it will shrink back if it's in your own hopes and dreams. 
But if it's in Christ, regardless of the circumstances, it will grow because he's always faithful. So let's jump into the text tonight. If you've got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. And every time we hear it say, by faith, then we'll let that uh, sentence or two play out and we'll stop, we'll park, and we'll talk about that. So by faith, the author says in verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. So the first thing we see is by faith we go. So Abraham, 75 years old, I'm doing my own thing. Like you got to imagine, you're pretty settled down at 75 years old. What we know about Abram at this point probably followed the religion of the day, whatever that might have been in the Middle East. He probably was a semi-nomadic livestock, raisin, typical ranching, patriarch of the family. Like 75, you're thinking, man, we're, we're settling down and our, 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 our young crazy years are behind us. And this is when God comes. God didn't come at the 20 years old and he's saying, hey, listen, I know you don't really have your life planned out yet, but it's 75. Like that's when he comes and says, it's time to get up and go. And Abram, even though he didn't know where he was going, he said, I'm going to go. Like this isn't Jonah and Nineveh, right? God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no, I don't want to go. I'm going to go somewhere else. But he knew where he was going. Like there's at least a little bit of specifics in the destination. Abram didn't have that. He said, remember, I, I told you about this promised land. Okay, I just want you to start walking. And Abram started walking. Didn't know where he was going. Didn't have a clue. You and I, we want clear directions. We get mad at God like, because we feel obligated that if God's going to tell us to go, he's going to have to give us very clear instructions and specific details about where we're going before we go, right? Like we hold God hostage in that, don't we? And Abram's like, no, man. My yes is yes. My no is no. You say go. I'm saying, okay, let's go. Like that's Abram's story. He didn't know the specifics. And and what happens is that God in the Old Testament here with Abram promised Abram earthly blessings, okay? Kids, great nations, promised land, like earthly blessings. But Abram, as we're going to find here in a couple verses, Abram the whole time as he started to have this personal relationship with God starts to see the spiritual side of things and the heavenly promises and the heavenly destination that like, There's something better than the earthly promises that God gave me. Like God approaches him saying, I'm going to bless you here on earth. And Abram, through the process of walking by faith day in and day out, starts to see like there's something far better. Like this whole relationship with God thing is far better than even what God promised me here on earth. Now what happens for you and I is is we have the opposite. Okay, so we have the great commission now in the New Testament. We know there's a spiritual harvest Right? And yet, the temptation for you and I is to try to find the earthly blessings. Like, we're all in the same boat as the church, sent for a spiritual harvest, and yet, what is the temptation in our day? Well, I mean, I mean if I think about my life, I just I want to find that perfect spouse. Is that honorable? Yeah, it is. I want to have kids. Is that honorable? Sure. I want to have a nice house and I want to have retirement. I want to, I want to do all these things and the American dream just keeps on calling and keeps us drawing us in. Keeps drawing us on in. And Abram's like, I had all that. You guys, do you understand? God promised me the American dream. 
And I found that through that, there was something better. But when God said go, I went. You see, God is ascending God. And, and this is a major Christian doctrine that we don't talk enough about. It's becoming more popular to talk about it. But what we've done uh, with this doctrine called Miseo Dei, it's a Latin term that talks about God, Dei. Anytime you hear deity or D-E-I, it's talking about God. And mission, we're talking about, obviously, to make disciples, but we're talking about ascending God. That God, from the very beginning, has sent. He sent humans. He, he sends prophets to the Israelites. He sent Jesus to earth. He sent the Holy Spirit down. He sent the church. Like, we are sent people. When you placed your faith in Jesus for the very first time, you became a missionary. Just like you became saved. Just like you became part of a larger family. Just, I mean, like, you, you inherited that as a blessing to be a missionary. And in our culture, what we've done, obviously, in many cases, is that, you know what, there's a few missionaries, and, and, and in those missionaries, it's always overseas stuff. And so we're going to clap, and we're going to support them. But, like, we don't always view ourselves as missionaries. But God's ascending God, and he sent the Spirit to be in us, and he sends us wherever we are. So, like, we are sent, like, right now. How many of y'all live in Salina or close to? You have a mission field in Salina, Kansas. You are sent to Salina, Kansas. Many of you have heard sermons like this a lot. But if you don't truly day in and day out believe you were sent to this city, you're always going to look for excuses to either do nothing or to leave. If you don't see a bigger calling to live in Salina, well, I just, I've always lived here. I'm a lifelong Salina guy, you know, whatever. Like, God sent you here. He gives you a paycheck and might say McDonald's in the corner. It might say whatever corporation, but like he's providing for you to be a missionary at McDonald's. He, God's providing for you to be a missionary wherever you are. We're sent. So are you living sent? Are you living sent in Salina? If you're not living sent, you're probably not walking by faith. And if your faith isn't active, what is it? When I, uh, when I left my homeland, so to speak, little old Randolph, Kansas, and I, I moved um, to Manhattan for a little bit when I was 19, but then I moved to Hutchinson. I didn't have much to my name. Like, I, I had nothing. And it took me three or four years as I started to investigate God and the claims of Christ and all that. Didn't know what I was doing. I just started going to church, and I kept going. And it took me several years before I really committed my life to Christ. Now, when I started the journey, I didn't have hardly, again, anything to my name. So there wasn't much to give up. But as I started to seek him, and life started to play out a little bit, and I was in college, and I needed a job, and I was a convicted felon, so I'm trying to be a dishwasher at all these different restaurants in Hutchinson. I'm, I'm, my application is going in. Nobody would even call me. I could, like, I could not get a job to even be a dishwasher. And so uh, the way that God designed me, it was as kind of an entrepreneurial type of spirit. He said, go. 
make a life for your own. So before you know it, I start up this lawn care business as I'm starting uh, to wind down with school. And to be a firefighter, many of you, you know, the hours are crazy, 24-hour shifts. And so a lot of guys have second jobs, and a lot of that ends up being lawn care. Um, and so it was, it was all kind of fitting together perfect. Like, okay, I could finish my degree. I could be a firefighter. Maybe I can find a wife, get married, settle down here. By the time I'm 21, I have a house. I have $25,000 in lawn care equipment. I have equity in the little small business. And I go from making X amount to double to double. Each year, it's doubling. And by the time I'm 21, I was making as much money as I thought I would ever make. And then God saved me. But all of a sudden, there's a lot on the line. And I knew early on, like even when I, I was still learning about Christianity, I knew early on that like God was going to move me somewhere. But man, the more that I kept doing my stuff there in Hutch, the more that I kept that lawn care business going, the more I felt myself tied down and the temptation to be settled down, like it just gripped me. Now, I tried to make disciples, uh, my lawn care customers and all that. Like I was living in, in Hutchinson, but I knew like, man, this is like two worlds. One that says settle down and just be comfortable mixed with this other one, like live radically for Christ, whether it's in this city or somewhere else. But I knew he was calling me somewhere else and he tested me over and over and over. Would I give that up? Would I give it up? And I wanted to go to school elsewhere. I went to Colorado Springs to check out this awesome school I was going to go to. He said, no, go to McPherson. So I stayed in Hutch, went to school in McPherson. And the rest is history. But I was tempted early on. Some of us in here tonight, we are very settled down. You hear that story and you think, okay, I remember those days. That was 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 years ago. Maybe some of you straight out of college, you're already finding yourself settled down in Salina. Would you, I'm going to pick on you a little bit, okay? Don't worry, I'm going to pick on some more people in a bit. But would you get up and go if God said tonight, if he said, get up, sell your stuff, and go to a foreign country? This isn't just a silly young preacher guy talking about it. Like, this is, this is real. Your yes might have been yes at 20 when you didn't have much to give up. Is your yes still a yes? Like what if God says that? Everything around you, your world, your tradi- everything would say, no, you've got to stay here. It's foolish. But would you get up and go? And I think it's important. Because I could just do a raw, raw, get up and go thing. But being sent is as much a mentality as it is a location thing. Right? So are you seeing a spiritual harvest here in Salina, Kansas? Like, I'm just going to rifle off some questions. Do some heart check. Like, in the workplace, you might have been, you might have been like, I'm all about making disciples six months ago. Tonight, as you come in here, maybe worn out, maybe you've, you, you've tried to live on mission and you find yourself just trying to get by now, like, renew that strength and that desire. But, like, are you seeing a spiritual harvest at home, at work, your neighbors? You know the more settled in you get, the more settled down in life, all of a sudden you start to just have a larger family and your, your, your in-crowd becomes even more of an in-crowd and inclusive. And so all of a sudden you don't have a bunch of opportunities to make disciples. But like, are you making sure that you're getting outside of just your kids and your grandkids and going to not just your neighbors, but going around the city? 
God's given you a life that what happens oftentimes is the more opportunity we have to make disciples because we've built relationships over all these years, the more we're in that place, now that we're getting close to retirement, the more we find ourselves just, I don't want to say giving up, but certainly maybe not taking advantage of all those opportunities. As a young dude, you move to this city, it's hard sometimes. You're like, I want to make disciples, but I don't know anybody. There's people in this room who know more people in this city than some of us will ever know. Like, are we intentional in those relationships? You still have, the, do you have today the spiritual fervor for the spiritual harvest that you had back in the day? For young pups, do you still have a spiritual desire for the spiritual harvest more than you have for the earthly blessing? Verses 9 and 10. So by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. This is again Abraham. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Oh, all of a sudden we just fast forwarded a whole bunch. Two new guys come into the picture. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. All right. Second thing we see is by faith we stay. So here, the, the story continues. So it's not just, well, that was an awesome act of faith that God said go and Abraham went. But now all of a sudden, he's, he's, he's living, like he's going, and he's living in tents, like he's not settling down building a house because he's starting to see there's a, there's a spiritual side, there's a spiritual blessing, there's a heavenly home that I'm really looking forward to, so I'm not going to get too comfortable here on earth. But like we can't miss the fact that like he went from, hey, go to, you got a kid and a grandkid. Guess what that means? That means he stayed on the same calling to go for a long time. Isaac didn't come for 25 years from the initial calling of Abraham. Then Isaac lived 55, 60 years before he had Jacob. And Jacob now is living with Abraham as they are going around place to place. He stayed the course. He saw a little bit of fulfillment in the promises, but he didn't see all of them, but he stayed faithful to God. Sometimes the hard part isn't going. Sometimes the hard part when it comes to faith is staying. And I think just like sending, staying is a mentality thing. It's being fully present wherever you are. It's being fully engaged and involved with God's plan, his activity, his purposes, his presence, like right now. Like you can only experience God right now. You can't experience him in the past. You can't experience him in the present, or excuse me, in the future. Like you can dream about experiencing him, and you can remember experiencing him, but like you can only really experience him right now. But some of us, we got our mind on the future so much that we're not experiencing him right now. Some of us, let's just be honest, this is going to get hard real quick. I, I should have warned you. This is going to be challenging. Maybe that's why we only had half the crowd tonight. Maybe they knew it. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to target younger folks, but this is for all of us. 
Some of us, we don't want to be here right now. Not necessarily cross-training. Hopefully you want to be here still. But we don't really want to be in Salina, Kansas right now. Mentally, we're checking out. We want to be elsewhere. Like It's so easy to have location idolatry. But what we do when we have location idolatry is we say, God, I believe, this is at best, I believe that I'm going to experience you more if I go fill in the blank with the location. But what it's really saying deep down in our heart is, God, it's not really you who satisfies me, and I believe the grass is greener somewhere else, and I would rather get there and ignore my, my rough relationships or my mistakes or whatever. Like, I just want a fresh start. I want to go somewhere new. And, and, and we, we code it with the idea that we're doing this because God is calling us. When really it's just us running from place to place because we don't truly, our mind says Jesus is enough, but our heart is saying, I don't experience him as enough right now. I'm going to tell people, maybe God's moving me to go to a different school. Maybe God's asking me to go to a different, uh, you know, location. Maybe like whatever. And mentally, we're tricking ourselves. And God's saying, you don't spend much time with me here. You don't make disciples here what makes you think it's going to change there some of us go our whole lives before we look back and say I was chasing after something I was running from something I told everyone it was God moving me but it wasn't some of us it's as common to talk about (laughs) where we might be going next just in casual conversation as it is talking about the weather like that's the young man's weather talk I mean, you just you look at it, whether it be tonight, whether it be uh, on a Sunday morning, whether it be your grow group, you go there, you ask some young pups, like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? And it'll be like, oh, everything's good. Look and notice how close, like how quickly it will go from, yeah, things are good, work was good, to, yeah, I'm looking at different schools. Ah, maybe next year I'll get that job. And like, just all of a sudden, and all, I'm, I find myself in these conversations all the time where I'm just like, I didn't ask you about three and a half years from now, like just today. Like, but that, it's so much on our mind, it's so much on the tip of our tongue that like, that's just what we're always thinking about. I, I served with a pastor one time where he would tell the congregation, daydreaming is sinful. And I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but there is an element of it that we're so much in la-la land that we just don't take advantage of here. And if you can only experience God in the here and now, but your mind is somewhere in the future or what could be, then it's not God that you want to experience. Because you know you can't experience him in the future. Like you can only experience him right now. And if you're not taking advantage of that, then what is it you really want? Abraham, he, he didn't stay. Like he didn't stay the course here. Because it costs too much to continue to move. Or it costs too much to build a house. He stayed there because as he had this relationship with God, he started to realize, I got everything I need with Jesus. I got everything I need with the Father exactly where I am. And God's going to be as much here as he would be in the next place. And he found a contentment, a spiritual contentment, that's the only thing that can make you stay when you're in a place that's rough. Because it wasn't all... Roses and butterflies. 
There's wars, there's battles. Go read some of those chapters. And Lot gets in trouble and Sodom and Gomorrah goes, this is the land they were living in, but he stayed the course. He stayed in the calling. You see, when you think of, and you say, well, so what are you saying? Is, can we not think about the future? No, you can think of future heavenly things. You can think of uh, spiritual stuff, but that kind of stuff brings you comfort to make you stay right now, right here. If you have your mind on future earthly blessings, it will always say go. It will always say move. And it will always create discontentment. I'll be honest. For me, it's much easier to stay where I am than to go to somewhere new. I know for each one of us, we're different. Some of us are like, it's, it would, it's hard for me to take that initial step of faith and go somewhere. For me, it's the opposite. And if I go and meet, just if, I, if I went to a church and I met some Christians who were used to hearing about missionary stories, and they asked me about my life, and I told them, yeah, you know what, we helped plant a, a little church. We were part of a team that started a church here, and then we, we took a big step of faith, and we went to uh, Virginia, and then Utah, and then um, Nebraska, and then back. Like, like, they would probably see it and say, wow, you were walking by faith. Like God, that's God's will for you to go to those places, and that's amazing. Like, they would see the, the good stuff, right? But what they wouldn't know and, and again, I did, we did those things with, I think, pure motives and God's calling. But if I said that it was only that, I get it. there are times, as a young dude, I like the idea of a fresh start. I can't tell you that never crossed my mind, never crossed Tara's mind. I love adventure, I love hiking. Doesn't make me sad to live in the Blue Ridge Mountains. 45 minutes from the Appalachian Trail to live in the Rocky Mountains in Utah. And I enjoyed that. So I love planting churches and I love, I love the kingdom expansion and that is the primary reason that we're going to do anything. But I would be lying if I said there wasn't a little bit of earthly blessing that was pushing my buttons. Now are we going to make decisions out of that? No. But man, could they influence you a little bit? It really hit home when we moved to Nebraska and we bought a house and nine months into it, before this church even really gets off the ground, we go from four people to 24 people. And then Crosspoint calls and says, do you want to come back? There's an opportunity. Now everyone's thinking we're crazy and I'm thinking we're crazy. That's when I really had to have a heart check. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I had to ask myself, like, God, am I just, am I crazy for even entertaining the idea of going to Salina? Like, do I have a discontentment that has been covered? I tell you what, there's nothing in the Christian life that's going to cover discontentment like faith. I just believe God's going to have us go somewhere. Like, how many of us know deep down we're just discontent? Everyone thinks it's faith that's making us walk. Some of us could just be driven by discontentment. For you and I, when we ask God, do something through it, and he doesn't do it today, and we get disheartened, we're like, oh, whatever, I'll go back to my old life, right? 
You're just like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do my own thing. I guess he didn't want to do something. Or, or God, show me how I can minister to someone today and we don't have that amazing God story so we don't pray the prayer the next day. And we look at Sarah's story and we think, well, okay, she didn't get instant gratification. But that's probably, I mean, that's an Old Testament story. No, biblically, God delaying it and making you actually stay walking in faith is probably more common than him saying, hey, boom, here it is. You got it. Specifics, details, plans, blessing, promises. You got, boom, like 10 seconds tops. Did you see that? I said, hey, would you do it? And mm, the whole thing's fulfilled in like 10 seconds. No, like that, that's generally not how it goes. But we are flustered when it doesn't happen that way. We're dumbfounded. How could he not do it all in like two minutes with me? But God wants to know, are you going to keep on walking? Does your faith have longevity? Because if it doesn't have longevity, I don't know that it was ever in me. Your faith was in something else. It's amazing how quick we give up on God. We used to be people, we used to be a generation that would get a package in the mail a couple weeks after we ordered it. Now we're an Amazon Prime generation. That if it doesn't show up within two days, and they better, oh, they better ship it today. They don't ship it today. Not going through them again. We're an Amazon Prime generation, but God is going to probably delay the package a few days. Because to love God means that we obey his timing as much as his calling. It means we're okay with his timing as much as we are the calling. Let's be honest, God's asked us to do some things we were happy about compared to some other things we weren't that excited about. But to love God means I love God more than him doing it on my terms. And so I'll end this, this verse here on, on this note when we talk about faith with longevity. We've got to bask in the glory of the waiting period. Like we've got to sit in the awkwardness you know how many times I've told people when they ask about Tara and I, we've been married just seven years now. And they ask me, sometimes young couples, how long of an engagement did you guys have? And is that normal? When I'm going through premarital counseling with people, they ask. And I, even to this day, I'll tell them, man, we were engaged for like eight, nine months. That's the number one regret I have. We should have got married sooner. We just waited. We waited because... Family and our own minds, we thought, well, you, just, you need time to put together a big fancy wedding. And I thought, we should have done it in a few months. I still complain about it. But guess what? Once you get married, you're never going to be engaged to that person again. And there was a beautiful opportunity to engage God during that engagement that I don't have anymore. But all I'm doing is complaining that we didn't get married quicker. We go from one thing to the next. God, what do you want? Boom, boom, boom. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? He says, I just want you to sit in the awkwardness and the pain and the tension for a while and experience me. And not just get to the next thing. Last but not least, summed up these last few verses, the author parks and he says, these all died in faith. So we're talking Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Oh, this is good stuff. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Oh man, the last thing we see tonight is that faith knows Jesus is better. Faith knows Jesus is better. This is good stuff. Remember, all these patriarchs, they, they, they died waiting for the promises. But they ultimately died waiting for the Messiah. And it's easy because we look back and we think, they don't know Jesus like we do, right? And in some ways that's true. But in some ways they knew him better than we do. You go up to verse 26, which we'll cover in a couple weeks, and it says about Moses' life, it says that he refused to be called uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In verse 26, in the same chapter, it says this about Moses. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. How much did Jesus hang out with Moses? That was 1,500 years before Jesus came to earth, right? Abraham, he's before Moses. He wasn't hanging out with Jesus. Go back and read that stuff over again. Sodom and Gomorrah, three men show up, two of them angels. One he just happens to call Lord. The third guy he just happens to call Lord. These people, they knew the Messiah. They got glimpses of the Messiah. When the Lord speaks to them, like they knew, this is, this is the one we're waiting on. I'll tell you what, every single one of these stories has a common thread about their faith. That even if it started because of these material blessings, it all grew into understanding the spiritual blessings and promises are so far greater. The relationship with God is so much better than the earthly blessings. Oh man. Our society, our society has flipped it upside down. And even in the church, we have made faith. This is why we get frustrated with the TV evangelist. We have made faith simply an avenue to get the earthly blessings. When all these patriarchs are sitting back saying, you guys, if you had real faith, your faith would tell you. Even when you have some of that earthly stuff in your hand, even though you're not promised it. But we all have it, certainly in America. Your faith is going to tell you, I won't settle for this. Jesus is better. The Messiah is better. Like that's biblical faith. Biblical faith always points to Jesus as better. And so if you find, going back to the original question tonight, if you find your faith making you want to shrink back when you hit adversity, it's because your faith has probably been in your own hopes and dreams. That Jesus has become somewhere along the way. Okay, Jesus is the avenue for a better job. Jesus is the avenue for the wife I want. Jesus is, Jesus might give you those things and it might be for the glory of God. But the ultimate purpose of our faith is Jesus himself. And if we miss that, we've missed everything. We've missed everything. That's what, those old dudes, they got Jesus. They got Jesus. We got Jesus. This week, you know your context, you know your family, you know your friends. Be a kingdom expander. 
This Thanksgiving, be a kingdom expander. Only God's going to grow his church. Only he can save people. But with his spirit inside of us as missionaries, be sent to the city. Be sent to your Thanksgiving dinner. Have intentionality that if I'm going to hang around any human being, I'm going to influence them for Christ. Whatever that looks like, through deeds, through verbal, all of it. Take advantage of the fact that we don't just get Jesus in blips like these guys did. We get him all the time. Abide in him this week. Because I don't ever, ever, ever want you to come and get pumped up and go out there and say, we're going to spread a message that we don't experience. Because every single one of these, every one of these guys, when they experienced the focus of their faith, Christ, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they were compelled then to only want those things. What does it look like this week? Some of you, I'm not, I wasn't going to throw this in the sermon, but I'm, I'll, I'll do it just for fun. You hear this and you say, I don't really actually know what it looks like to make disciples. It, it's a whole other sermon, but it's not complicated. But I'm telling you what, we talk about grow groups, we talk about some, all of us being influencing folks for Christ. For lack of better terms, they're sitting ducks. These are young men and women, these are older folks, these are people in the church who say, I'm going to gather so that you can disciple me and I'll disciple you. Don't leave that on the table. To live sent tonight starts by us living sent in our very own church. I'll just leave it at that. Let's pray.